Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. All right, guys, thanks for joining us back here on the Finding Backcountry podcast. I've got longtime mule deer fanatic, guy that I've looked up to for a long time, Robbie Denning, back on the podcast, right? How you doing, Robbie? Hey, doing good yeah uh 6 30 in the morning i guess you know i'm, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> to be honest you know, i'm really slow this that, was that, that's what i'm doing this morning this was your idea <laughs> not mine i know i know i know it's the only time i can do it i gotta go to work yeah well that makes two of us and i i've got a pretty flexible job but um yeah you can only get away with you know showing up at nine o'clock or ten o'clock so many times <laughs> that's right um <laughs> Yeah, and that's all right. What a nothing better to wake up for a you know early than a something to do with mule deer hunting, whether we're actually going hunting or talking about it. I guess. Yeah, especially in the doldrums of January. Right, like man, and up here, the further north you get in this country, I've just learned these man, these winters are they're cold and uh, the short short days, and it it gets it gets tough in the winter, man. It does, man. It does. We get down to like eight and a half, nine hours of daylight. and You can just feel it in your body. You need, yeah. need some sunshine. Yeah. Well, yeah, the wife and I, we, we finally gave in and booked a vacation in a couple months here um, to a, a beach location. So. All right. Yeah. We couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, we went to, we went to, uh, phoenix in uh early january and that was great but i'll tell you what coming back in on a plane looking out that window at <laughs> frozen idaho completely white dude it looked like you know the beginning of that second star wars movie you know just like a just just nothing but white death i'm like let's just turn around and go back to arizona <laughs> yeah for like three months <laughs> oh man well speaking of the snow just real quick side note how's the you know, you you and I talked a little bit before we hit record, but how's the snowpack and the snow levels and the moisture and everything looking in in your part of the country, and then just what you've heard or seen overall? Better, um, you know that that's sixteen, seventeen winter. You know, the further we get away from it, at least around here, it was bad. You know, I knew it was bad when it happened, but it just took so long to get back on our feet. And I think that, you know, 18, 19 winter, you know, you know the, the, not the very next winter, but the one after that, you know, just kind of put the nail in the coffin and it was bad. It was bad as 92, 93, I, I think in a way, um, just some places were just com- almost completely void of bucks, like places that should have five or 10 bucks, you know, in a, in a place that I scout nothing. And, you know, that can happen even when your deer are fine. But, you know, when it happens multiple times in multiple places and multiple people I'm talking to that I trust are just like, yeah, there's hardly any bucks, you know, and it's not like that now. But that's how it was up until about 
19 and it started to heal up a little bit in 20 and mm -hmm. and you know it's always related to, to winters you know these these northern states you know that talked to a lot of biologists over the years and the, the, the ones that are old and gray always say oh yeah winter manages the deer not us well and that's funny you say that because do you ever get the feeling that it's either a a bad winter or not enough winter like when i'm still waiting for the years when we just nail it like does that make right. sense i mean what what does that look like and and when do we get that you know and maybe i just haven't we haven't had one of those in the last decade i don't know when's the last time you thought we just nailed the winter and we had a perfect winter and what does that well look like? the way the way deer, i mean if you want lots of deer you got to have drought that's for a while you know you can't have it extended but you know it ju they, they just do better with light winters that's just how it is and so it, it you know I, I, a lot of guys that i know always feel the same like yeah i just do better when we're you know getting a few mild winters in, in a row which then sets you back on water and so that can impact your 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 fawn weights and your you know your survival of your fawns and so that's not good either it, it's always like they're 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 living on the edge of a cliff right you know that's what that's what it always feels like yeah. but you know the perfect winter i don't know oh four oh five those were those are great winters because you didn't have a lot of snow and then this spring you get good rains um, you know, that's always the best. I think if you just get kind of an average winter, you know, you're a little, little droughty, you know, your snowpacks are a little low, but then you get good rains in, uh, you know, March, April, May, right around in there. Um, that can, that can really set you up, uh, well, because, you know, then those, those, those does their last months of pregnancy, you know, they're putting on good weight and, um, you know, their fawn weights are good. All the research has been done on, on big bucks is, their 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 antler size is highly tied to takes a good dough mother's health yep. yep exactly and so so that, you know that's that's what i like you know not not too not too bad of winters and and rain rain is a good thing like luke bryan says it's a good <laughs> thing it doesn't kill the deer you know yeah. or the, the the and that's what happened in 16 17 we, we just had so much snow there was just just nothing for them and and amazingly enough that winter kind of ended a little bit early like it, it was about mid-february it kind of started melting off you know we got some warmer temperatures and it really dropped and i thought oh good you know we're gonna skate but it was just too late we just gone too long you know how much do you let your applications be affected by the winter that we've had a lot a lot a lot oh yeah i try to if we're having a bad winter i try to I mean, I still have to hunt here. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't not hunt, but you know, I try to like at 17, I, I had some points in Colorado. So I just went ahead and spent them just to have a hunt to get out of the winter kill. And I was glad I did, you know, it was, it was tough around here. Um, so, you know, if I can get out of it, you know, I want to, um, I, I've done a bunch of articles on it and some of them will be in my next book, but right after the winter, hard winters you typically don't lose all your big bucks you lose your fawns and you lose your old bucks you know your 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 older deer definitely you know those bucks are gone but you know there's even on a good year there's not very many seven yeah, or eight year old those, bucks around those bucks that are still in their prime you know if six and a half year old deer is in his prime right i mean good well chance, according, good chance according to dr mackey oh i'm sorry go ahead uh, Dr. Mackey, the, the the Montana researcher that did a lot of stuff on on um, deer, was he was more. It's younger than that. He's more like 
two, three, four years old. Those are what he called your prime age bucks. Gotcha. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're still, you know, very healthy and, um, you know, young enough that they don't, they don't encounter winter kill at the same rate as bucks that are older than that, where, you know, a lot of times by the time you get six and a half, seven, you know, that's prime for their antlers. But, you know, according to him, that's, uh, you know, you can lose some of those deer too. So what I was going to say is sometimes the winter right after the hard winter um, is you still have big bucks around. And it's funny if you look at the, at the harvest statistics after those winters, because those winters take out the, the fawns. So, so let's just say the fawn is born in May, the hard or June, the hard winter comes in December, January, February. So that fawn would be six months old. Okay. Uh, and if that fawn lives, by the time you get to the next fall, it's like 15, 17 months old, year and a half old. That's a two point. Yeah. And, and, and that's what drives the buck harvest mostly because that's what people see. And there's a lot of, that's your, usually your biggest age class is your two points. And so, um, on the, after the hard winters, you'll see the success rate on bucks drop. Obviously there's less bucks, but you'll see the percentage of four points go up in the harvest. And that's because nobody's shooting two points. All that's left are your prime age bucks. Mm-hmm. And so it'll, it'll mess with you a little bit. You look at the stats and go, wait a minute, we actually shot more as a percentage we shot more four point bucks yeah but if you look at the total harvest it's usually down now there's some exceptions here and there you know that doesn't always hold but it holds more often than it doesn't but but and so the next the next year you know you've usually got some some nice bucks and even even the the uh, the few years after that i've seen giant bucks after hard winters then the 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 following two to even three years you know that 92 93 winter was so bad but in 95 dude i saw 95 and 96 mega bucks bigger than what I've been seeing. Even when the, when the peak was, was there in 92, but hard to find not a lot of deer, lower deer population. And, and this gets into the whole doe thing. And, 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 and a lot of guys just, you can't shoot does. You can't shoot does. I got into it with a guy yesterday. It's like, well, um, you can't say you can never shoot does when deer populations are high, like in 14, 15 and 16 around here. Um, you, you, and you're not shooting does. Okay, those does are competing with those bucks. Guys don't want to admit it. We don't have enough habitat to feed every single mouth out there that gets born. And so, so those does are competing with those bucks too. And so when you get after those hard winters, your your whole deer population is lower (laughs) typically a hard winter means good water so your habitat is typically in good shape unless you just go right back into a drought and so you have a lot less competition for for feed Mm. on the winter range um after those hard winters and and that that can sometimes that's when we see our heaviest fawns you know 80 90 100 pound fawns is you know not not the the, the crop that's born right after the hard winter because you know they're those does got hammered but usually the next year 
Mm-hmm. You just, and, and it's just how God made it. It's just how the deer herd recovers, you know? So there's less deer, less competition. The deer that are born are healthier. They're bigger, they're stronger. And, and sometimes you see that in their antlers as well. And, um, so, so all that stuff kind of comes together and the long answer to your question is, yeah, I always want to hunt where the deer herd has not been hammered, but you, you, the, the first couple of years after a winter, there's, there's some things that can still lead to some big bucks. And if it's really good deer herds, I've seen this in Western Wyoming, they can just get the crap knocked out of them. And man, a year or two later, they're doing great. You know, as yeah. long as they've only lost one fawn crop. You know, a few of their older age class bucks tip over. Man, a year or two later, they heal up. But, you know, you get into some of these marginal habitats, you know, south central Idaho and, you know, some of the some of that stuff, desert stuff that doesn't heal up real fast. You know, it, 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 it can take a lot longer for those deer to bounce back, you know. But even on good years, they're struggling with, you know, lower fawn weights, um, uh, lower fawn doe ratios. You know, they're just they're just not deer factories like some of these other places. <laughs> Yeah, I remember, and I think it was around sixteen, seventeen, right? It was a bad winter. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. And I, I remember my brother and I about this time of year, kind of research, not maybe, maybe a little later, trying to research where we were going to put in or something. And I think it was you, and maybe a guy like, <coughs> excuse me, maybe a guy like David Long. I can't remember. We we hit up a couple guys because we were pretty concerned, you know, like hey. Mm-hmm. You know, the rumblings and everything. This is a brutal winter. And I think it was you specifically, though, that that told us that and said, hey, I wouldn't overlook it. In fact, a lot of times on these type of years, the following fall is is incredible for big bucks, you know, specifically. Mm -hmm. And so it it changed how we applied. Um, You know, we we went after a tag. I can't remember what that would have been. Maybe Wyoming up here. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's that's really an interesting perspective. But um, you know, you one more thing on that, mm-hmm. Dustin, is you know Travis Hobbs that year, and I had him submit some stories for my book that um, he had. I mean, that was the year he killed Scar, he killed that two twenty Idaho buck, which was a three and a half year old buck lab age. We lab aged, and it was three and a half years old, and it was two twenty, and um, um, and he had several others he was following that were all very big bucks i mean both those were 220 bucks and um kind of same thing the, you know the deer herd was down a little bit but he was still seeing a lot of a lot of good bucks and it was kind of more after that like 18 19 when it you know you're not getting any recruitment up from your younger age classes because they're not there anymore they died and, and and then that's when it starts to hurt yeah for big bucks you know how does that lab aging work specifically? Can is there a way to break that down in two minutes? Oh yeah, dude. Just think of tree rings. Literally, um, literally just it, filing just down. Just about teeth. yeah. It's called cementum age analysis, and they take a sample of the tooth, um, and they uh, I guess dissect it and they they put it on a slide, and they can they can count the the layers. I think it's called annuli like um, rings on a sheep's horn yeah yeah and, and I, I hesitate to say it's i mean you're not looking at exactly like a tree ring you know but it's it's very similar and they can count in normal tooth growth it's very clear you can see how that tooth has grown it's it's it, you know it's no different than a sheep antler no different than a tree i mean it's very accurate the only time it's not accurate 
and this is what's cool is they know when it's not accurate is when there's abnormal tooth growth and, you know, get a snaggle tooth buck or something, you know, they're just, just fun to have, have a tooth grow funny. And, you know, we've lavished hundreds of them through our business over the years and we're in the high 98, 99% return rate of of normal samples you know and and of all the bucks i've aged of my own i've only ever had one that they couldn't determine to the year and they were able to determine it to the two year that he was either a three or a four year old buck they they just couldn't tell so no it's accurate dude it's i mean that's why the that's why the biologists use it you know if they really need to get good accuracy and you know i have a lot of guys i look at the molars and you know look at their feet or i mean it's it's just all guessing and and um, I, I, I've got some friends that are taxidermists and would work on my bucks and, you know, they would always age it for me, you know, try to have these little charts where they would look at the molars, you know, the, the back teeth and, you know, age it. And, and then I would pull one of the, um, and it, it's the front teeth, the incisors. That's the one that the lab wants. I would pull it and send that in. And dude, they were never right. The the the, the <laughs> taxidermist was never right. Not, not one time. And, and you know, this isn't a huge sample size, maybe three or four bucks. He never got it once. He got it within, you know, a year or two. But he never got the year. And so, you know, that's when I started started really just like, well, this is if you really want to know, right. you got a lab age. Right. Huh. I need to start doing that. Well, let me back up. I need to start killing a buck again so that I have teeth to age. Isn't that the way that it works? <laughs> it does, dude. And, dude, I'm I'm in that set, that camp too. I haven't I haven't uh, killed a deer in two years, so so yeah. I'm, well, I'm pretty lame right I've now. I've at least I've at least enjoyed watching all your uh, struggles on your YouTube videos and stuff. Um, oh, all the time, dude. Totally <laughs> struggling, man. <laughs> Just uh, getting worse instead of better, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, you know, a good, a good hunting story, whether it's a failure or not, uh, or a success is always interesting. And that's, um, you know, that's one big reason I had you on is you, uh, announced a new book. It's not out yet. Right. Is that right? Right. It's It'll coming. be out later this spring. Yeah. Goes and, to the editor in probably the next 10 days. We're just waiting on Muley Slayer's story. Oh, he got sick, so he got a little, I know, dude, we should, we should blow his Instagram up, but to, to his credit, he's been sick, so got to yeah. give the guy a break. But you, you he, should, uh, you should just hit him up and say, "Hey, man, you took too long, and we just backfilled it with uh, Dustin killed a real nice two point one year with yeah, his with we're his gonna, bow. <laughs> we're gonna substitute your spot. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. That's really that's all we're waiting on, and then we got an article coming from Toby Bordreau. He's uh, deer and elk coordinator for the idaho fishing game in fact he's writing an article about some of that stuff we were talking about is when you know doe harvest is helpful when it's not you know thing, things like that's kind of some of the common myths surrounding that stuff i'm looking right. forward to reading it well i i want to get into that but first um we just i threw up a few and again i didn't give guys a lot of time so there's there's not many on here yet but there's some good ones uh the instagram crowd got a, an off option or a, a chance to put in a question for you um speaking of of travis his first one his this stood out to me um which his handle is nat, nat natural born hunter and he didn't want to yep. he's either didn't want to or couldn't spell that out i don't know you know travis better than i do maybe he didn't know how to spell natural but 
Dude, he's from northern Utah. Oh, that explains I mean, I, I, Now, he, he calls himself an Idahoan now because he did move across the border a couple miles. But I said, dude, you can't call yourself an Idaho until you've been here for five years. So he's got a couple more years to go. So right? I'm not even a Wyoming Wyoming boy then. No, um, no, no, dude, you're still you're still southern Utah, northern Nevada, where yep. you came from, dude. Yep. you got to be yep. here five years. But, but back to Travis's spelling, dude, you're right, dude. If you go down to that part of the country – they're not spelling anything right. Even the road <laughs> signs are wrong. So, so when somebody spells natural N T R L, right? They're actually doing. You, you can tell. Or, or is that not not really born a hunter? Because <laughs> that could be too. Could be how not really born a hunter. Anyway, not really born a hunter asks, um, is it really swearing if said swear words involve stock animals? Oh my goodness. You know why he's saying that, don't you? Oh, I've I've got some ideas. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, because you know, you know, I listened to your podcast, dude. And mm-hmm. the day you said you're gonna have him on, and dude, I know this is a family podcast and I totally support that. <laughs> that dude, he he didn't even make it forty-four <laughs> seconds, dude, and he violated the no swear rule. Listen, I've come I was to the con- cracking up. I've come to the conclusion that by mentioning it. It puts it in guys' minds that wouldn't have, they wouldn't have even sworn anyway, and they probably don't ever swear, and they're like, you know what? Like, for some reason, subconsciously, I'm getting the need to, to just pop a swear word in here. That's what happened with him. Yeah, and after that, dude, he was like, I listened to the rest of the podcast, and I could tell he was really watching his words. It was so funny. So, yeah, man, I've, I've been hammering him the whole time. So, yeah, that's what he's talking about. And and the reason he says stock animals, because I, I don't swear a lot. You get me around horses, num, numbskull horses. Uh, uh, that's where I've learned all my swear words. Oh. So that, that's what he's talking about. But no, no, Travis, I'm not going to violate the rule unlike you did at 44 <laughs> seconds into that, the podcast. That was a little bait. I think that's what that was. Yeah, man. My, I had, I've told this before, I think, but I had a good buddy when I was fighting fire and he, he, we were talking about horses or something one time and he, he referred to it as a, and I'll paraphrase, a gosh dang it. And uh-huh. yep. I, you know, and he, but he actually like described it and I'm like, a what? And he's like, a, you know, a gosh dang it. And I'm like, you, are you talking about a horse? Like it was very apparent that he's talking about a horse and he's like, well, yeah, but I always call him gosh dang it. So I'm like, what, why? And he's like, well, cause every single time I'm on one, that's all I keep saying. <laughs> gosh, dang it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So he, I feel you. He, he's right. I got a story just like that when I was a little kid, my, I was like three or four years old. No seat belts back then, so my mom said I was I was standing on the back seat of her of her '64 Impala, heading down the road, and, and we drew, pulled out of our driveway, and our horses were in the pasture, and she says I I pointed over there and I said look at the little effers, and I said the whole word three or four years old, and she just had to come apart. I mean, you know, my, my mama did not swear, and she, she figured it out that she had heard my dad calling them mm-hmm. that word. In, in anger, you know, like probably trying to shoo him or catch him or something. So I thought that's what they were called. Hey, if you're, if the first swear word that you ever heard growing up wasn't from your old man, you didn't have horses or you never hooked up a, a trailer, right? Cause that, I'll never forget watching my old man the first time. And it was, it wasn't even, I didn't even hear it. I just saw it through the glass, you know, of the truck and I'm sitting in the cab and he's walking around and I just see the most blatant, like, Beep. And I'm like, oh gosh, like, yeah, 
that's just that's growing up. So yeah, yeah. If you didn't know any swear words when you were three, did you really have an old man? Did you, yeah. Did you really mule deer hunt with horses? No. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh man. Um, hey, let's get Travis's questions. We've burned enough time on. Yeah, him. He's you're, he's, he, dude. He's the heckler in the back. Not really a born hunter. That's well. So, somebody. So speaking of Travis, ironically, someone else had a question. Pistol uh, underscore sand. Uh, is Robbie going to kill the buck that got away from him and Travis in 2022? So what's your, are you guys hot on the heels of, of that buck that you guys couldn't quite round up? That was your, oh, I'll look for him. That was the archery buck I wounded. And then the, the and one then that Travis shot at with set the, the warning shots at. Yeah. <laughs> he just wanted him to grow up. He thought, nah, he's only 190. Let's let him get a little bigger. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, of course. I'll I'll look for him. That's almost always start my scouting with looking for bucks I found the previous year. But um, as I've said on other podcasts, I don't get a lot of carryover of same bucks from year to year. I just don't find them again. You know, sometimes I think I think I added up. It was like maybe twenty or thirty percent of the deer, the big deer I've killed have been bucks that I've chased over multiple years. But most of them are are the are, are bucks I've either just seen that time or I've seen them earlier that year. But why you know, these these what's that? Why do you think that is? What is it that keeps you from rough, finding rough country? Rough country and the fact that by the time they get big, they don't have a lot of years left. I think a lot of them die. I think that's what happened to jalapeno. I think they just die. You know, once they get six or seven years old, there's you know, they don't have a lot of years left. And so, um, um, that would be my guess. And, you know, I'm living, you know, I'm hunting, you know, big mountain country and, um, you know, long migrations, you know, stuff like that. I think that can, that can follow it up a little bit. I did a podcast, I think it was John Stallone here. We were talking about it. And sometimes I listen to these, some of these guys that are like, you know, they, they're, they're tracking, you know, Henry the fourth from, you know, they, they got him named from five years ago and, you know, they got, they got Rudy one and, you know, he's from here. And I'm like, I've been, wow, follow, I've I, been following him since 2016. Exactly. Just since I was a child, Yeah, you know, and, and I'm going to get him this year, but I, you know, I'm not doubting him. I'm just like, wow, I don't have that experience. Like if, if I find him, I better kill him that year. But to answer Pistol Sand's question, of course I'll go look for that buck. Absolutely, of course. But I have seen other big bucks in that place, and never seen them again. Yeah, it's it, it is interesting because you know I think where guys are are turning up those bucks that you know oh I hunted him this year and this year and this year and then I finally got him. <laughs> They're either a whitetail hunting, <laughs> or uh -huh. b uh, a lot more mild country like you said. You know where they can. Uh, if the buck's there, they're going to find them sort of thing, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. like you said, I mean, some of this country, you don't feel like you could walk back in and find the buck the next day, let alone, um, you know, the next year. And, and also too, how much, how much, wouldn't it make sense too, that those bucks that the older that they get, um, the higher likelihood it is that they're getting smoked by a cat probably. Like just by nature, right? Those older bucks don't don't they kind of veer off into you know singles and maybe pairs of you know two older bucks, and they're just primed up for uh, you know how much of that predation do you think uh, specifically lions plays into those bigger bucks getting killed? Well, I, I don't have any hard data on it. It's just you know um, redneck data, I guess. Just talking to guys that cat hunt and everything. It seems like they find a lot of nice bucks, you know, kind of as a 
as a percentage of what they find, um, you know, that, that, that could be happening. You know, I, I've heard that for years, um, that, the the cats just prey on older bucks for that reason right there. But, you know, I'm not a cat hunter, so I can only go off of what guys have told me. Um, so, but that, you know, that certainly could play a part in it. Yeah. And, and, and then the whole rough country thing, you know, too, is, is you know, this, this rough country, I still think these bucks will live within a mile or a square mile or two. And, but man, go, go overlay a square mile or two over, yeah. you know, 10,500 foot peaks with 3000 vertical, um, uh, ascents from bottom to top. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. you don't, you don't see all the deer is, you know, so I, I still think that some of them are around and I'm just missing them, you know, and, 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 and I, I do have proof for that because, you know, I've hunted in places for, you know, 16 days on and off over a fall. And boom, all of a sudden there's a big buck I did not know was there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think it's just part of the game we got to play. And But, yeah, we're going to go after him, and we're always always looking for that. But my statistics are only about 20 to 30% of the deer. Of all the big bucks I've killed, something like 30 of them, the only maybe yeah. a few of them. You know, what, what would that be? Maybe six of them have, have been bucks I've seen that I know were the same bucks the previous year and come over the next year. And, and, you know, sometimes I always wonder too, when guys are like, Oh man, I saw the same buck two years in a row. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to be like, know that that's the same buck unless it's just, you know, non-typical, you know, points in the exact same spot, you know, stuff like that. Um, gosh, sometimes I get confused on big bucks the same year. Like, is that him? You know, unless he's got just some real identifying features, you know, I'll see him again. And, you know, sometimes it takes me a little while to figure out, okay, I think that's him. Sometimes I'm not totally sure. I've seen examples of bucks that get killed in the same area year after year. Mm. And they, they're almost identical. Like, like we've seen bucks Mm -hmm. in units we hunt down South and then it's like, oh, you killed this on the, oh my gosh. And you put them next to each other. And it's like, dude, well, it's the same dad probably, you know, it's like, of course they look the same, you know, and you might be thinking you're seeing the same buck year to year if you didn't know, but you know, that's what I think. That's what I think too, dude. And, 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 um, if deer are are called they're phylopatric, that's a big word I learned from Mike Duplan and, and so are moose or elk, but, but mule deer seem to really be, characterize that what that means is they return to the same areas at the same time of year and so if that is occurring which i I really think it is and it occurs with the does and the bucks and everything these these same bucks are breeding these same does in kind of these micro areas all right and so it, it makes sense that these certain areas and i've seen that you know certain units or even just parts of units i've seen it like there's always cheaters on their g3s or they're always the biggest bucks are always three points with no G fours. I have seen that across multiple Western Western States in these kind of micro areas. And so that just tells me that that gene pool right there, you know, that's being influenced by the same deer, mostly, you know, year after year after year, you know, it's, it's like going to, to maybe some places where, the family trees are, there's not a lot of branches in them. You know, we don't want to mention in any States and have people blow up your podcast. You know, maybe you live in one of those States. I don't know. Maybe I do, you know, but roll but, tide, you know, those... roll tide. <laughs> but I think that happens with bucks too. So back to your point, um, you know, there can be, there can be bucks. I'm looking at them one right, right now. One I killed in Wyoming 
about 15 years ago that was was a 220 buck well there was like a 190 buck running around up there like him and and several times i saw that buck Mini and me. i thought it was him until i really got looking i'm like no no he's just smaller he's got a lot of the same points and i i guarantee that buck was that that uh, uh the, the, and from the lineage of that buck probably his son you know, so you got that stuff going on, and, and I agree with you. I think that can that can throw it off a little bit too. Like, you know, I'm following the same buck from last year. Well, maybe it's not the same buck. Hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. And yeah, tough tough to get a lot of hard data on, but man, we just can all kind of feel it. Um, let's see. This kind of rolls into you know looking for a, a buck, I guess, the next year, or just scouting in general. B. Dot Erickson. <laughs> things to look for when e-scouting for high country mule deer. Now, I know right off, I'll answer this real quick. You don't love to do a lot of e-scouting. You're not a hardcore e-scouter. I've heard you say that. Yep. So I want you to answer though both. I want you to answer if you had to e-scout what you'd look for and, you know, what your alternative is to e-scouting. Gotcha. And, 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 and so, yeah, I, I, it's not that I don't like e-scouting. I'm just a boots on the ground guy. Um, I, I guess I just grew up that way. And when I, when I e-scout, it's mostly just getting a feel for the country. Um, kind of like when I used to fly a lot, you know, was just take a look at it, get an aerial view of it, but it, it, to find Bucky spots on there, I, I, you kind of got to break it down. Like if you're looking at above timberline, high country, there has to be feed. They can't eat rocks and um, they, you know, they can live in rocky country, but rocky country to me that holds big bucks is still going to have a lot of feed strips of timber. And, and on Google earth, that looks like green, you know, green feed. And, and so that's, that's what I'm looking for, you know, slopes in the 30 to 50 degree range right around in there. Um, and it can't just be one small slope that has feed on it, completely sound, surrounded by mountain goat, rocky country and rocky country on the backside of the mountain. There's just, they, they can't they don't want to live in that small of a spot you know they, they 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 like to be able to feed on different hillsides each day move over the top of the ridge drop down on the backside. um you know sometimes that's why they're hard to find um and so that's what i'm looking for in in e-scouting is is there groceries and is there enough country connected together that that buck has multiple places he can be um and you know kind of spread out his risk of just living on one slope because i i find that these bigger bucks you know maybe i find them kind of in the same area maybe they're in the same half square mile for a a couple of days but i don't find them usually walking on the same trails every day feeding on the exact same hillsides they're not that patternable in my experience, you know, some guys say they are, and I don't doubt their experience either. They got the big bucks to show it, you know, but, and I have seen a 32 incher come out on the same hillside three days in a row, but on average, I don't. And, and I've tried so many times like to ambush him with a bow, you know, like, so I'm going to go sit right there, man. And okay. Yeah. He comes out that night and he's 400 yards down. Freaking, the freaking Nevada last year, man. I had these bucks mm-hmm. and they walked in and I'm like, okay, I'm just, I've walked, watched them two days in a row go this way and file out this way. And so what did I do? I went and set up right there. And what did those suckers do the next evening? They filed out the complete opposite side of the peak. It's just right. Gosh. 
that's my experience a lot. I think I think I think that's just a way to protect themselves. We're not the only ones chasing them. I mean, there's there's cats hiding in the weeds and 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 coyotes and you know, some places wolves. You know, they're getting pursued all the time. And so so to answer that guy's question, you know, that I, I I'm looking for for terrain that offers them multiple places, multiple escape routes, and and it has to. Be, I find that big bucks don't just like flat even slopes and what i mean flat slope i mean that doesn't even sound like a word but what i mean by that is a slope that doesn't have any um up and down terrain on the slope itself so it's just 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 a, a flat face okay i i find that they don't like that they're too there's there there's not enough cover for them of of the terrain not a, not enough up and down terrain invariably when i'm finding bucks at timberline and above timberline and even below but just stick with this question um they're they're in a lot of up and down terrain and i think that's why i've never had to become a long-range hunter to kill big bucks because you, you for the most part you got to get in where they're at and, and because you can't see them that maybe you can see them from a thousand yards and you know like if if you're dusting, you got a 6.5 creed more, you'll take that shot <laughs> offhand. Too, uh, too early, man. Too early for creed more jokes. Do I'm sorry, dude. I, I love your 6.5 creed more post, dude. You're cracking me up all the time. So, oh, anyways, but what I'm getting at is you can see them from a long ways away, maybe a thousand yards, and then nothing in between. You got to get right in their living room yeah. and kill them. You know, that's that's why a lot of my bucks have come in in that kind of 150, 250 yards because of that up and down terrain. So, back to this question. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, for, for you know, little gullies and washes and, you know, things that they can get in and, and, and they can feed there for two or three hours and not expose themselves very much because all they got to do is walk up the hill 15 yards and they drop into the next little goalie you know stuff like that i'm looking for and, and again that's not just above timberline i i find that you know i find that with desert bucks you know they're they're living in that kind of up and down rougher terrain well and uh so that's what i'm looking for let me sum up what you just said in another way be, and and this is what i heard okay what you didn't say what you didn't say there is that you jump on eScout and you get on Google Earth or Go Hunt or whatever, and you filter out the the unit you're gonna hunt and you find the most roadless piece of property that's 20 miles deep and you just mm -hmm. instantly go to the highest peak there and assume there's gonna be the biggest buck. That's what you didn't say. You, think, you think, got it, bro. Think about that, okay? Now, guys who are listening, like really think about that. The valuable takeaway from that is that you didn't just say oh, I just find the most remote country and that's where the big bucks are. And that, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it's that's what 90% of guys that jump on e-scout do is they'll pinpoint, and I catch myself doing this, is they'll sit and they'll make, you know, 14 different pins of all the most remote locations in the unit and then just go hunt there and assume that there's going to be the big buck on that peak because it's so remote. <laughs> you got it bro you got it I'm, i love to hunt remote um on average the the bucks get bigger from the, the further you are from a road but if you're only looking at the furthest places from the road you just found where most of the guys are going to be on opening morning and uh and you know maybe there's a big buck there i'm not saying that there's not but yeah i'm glad glad you filtered that out because that's not exactly what i'm looking for one of the best bucks that was killed around here this year was killed by a backpack hunter 
but he wasn't that far in. It's just a couple, two, three miles. There's more country way beyond that he could go to, you know, way further back in. But, you know, he scouts and he figured out there's this big buck living on this quakey covered ridge that's kind of hard to glass and it's not very fun to hunt. And that's why everybody walks right by it. Mm. And, you know, he ended up killing a, a 200, 202, 202 right there. And, um, you know, had to go live with it for a while, you know, and found it in August, killed it in mid-October. Uh, so, you know, that buck stuck stuck around there. But, yeah, it was, there's people walking past him to go to places. It's, and so that's – you're right. That's not what I'm looking for it's, usually. It's a huge – it's a huge indicator of, like, going from a level two guy to a level three builder guy. And I don't – I just kind of have used that in the past just, you know, generically. But um, – is learning not not just learning that but actually being able to execute on finding and hunting a buck where he is instead of where i think he should be right right the, the cliche saying or whatever so yep um awesome man so all that being said you know that's how you do attack your e-scouting now what is your preferred method of of scouting you oh said man boots boots on the ground, take my horses, you know, all that kind of stuff. If it's a brand new unit I've never been to, yeah, I'll look at it more e-scouting, but and a lot of times I'll try to, to, to fly it too, just to get an idea of, yeah, I mean, you, it, that's why I don't fly as much as I used to because Google Earth does take the place of that. I mean, you right. used to only be able to look at a flat map. So, you know, if you, if you could get in an airplane and even at nine o'clock in the morning, you know, when there's no bucks out, just, just fly over the range and get an idea of it. That was totally helpful. We still have to do that as, you know, with the, with the e-scouting, but it's still helpful. And if, you know, if I can fly at, at uh, earlier in the day, you know, some, you know, a lot of times you're pretty high, you know, you're not just like, Oh, that's a four point. That's a two Oh five buck. It's nothing like that, but it's like, Hey, that's, there's bucks right there, man. That's the, whether you're on the ground or you're flying or whatever, that's the golden ticket. If you can figure out where the buck country is, um, and, and narrow your search down and then, you know, um, spend your time right there. That's to me where the magic happens because back to this whole type of terrain that they live in, they're not easily viewed, even from the ground with a spotting scope, stay in there for three days. Sometimes you still just don't see them. You got to get in there for a while to figure out they're, they're there. And that's why, you know, there's no tracks on Google earth. You can't see their tracks. So, you know, that, that changes every day where if I'm in the country on the ground, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm not seeing, I haven't seen a big deer here, but man, look at that track right there. Yeah. that's that's that that is not there by accident you know that buck is right here somewhere so if i could get in there on the ground spend some time you know morning evening morning you know at least something like that looking at, at, at deer country that's that's where i've turned over a lot of good bucks that way scouting you know earlier in the season and i know that doesn't help a lot of guys that can't come out here and everything but it's just the way it is you can only go e-scouting so far at least to me and, and, and your boots on the ground is, is, is where it's going to happen. I just talked to Les Welch yesterday. Him and I are trying to put a hunt together. He lives in Wisconsin. And it, the, the first words out of his mouth when we're, we're putting this together is like, hey, let me know which weekend, one of the weekends you're going to scout. I'll, I'll, I'll fly out there and go with you. I mean, he's 
and he's not a wealthy man. He's just going to figure out how to do it because he knows, hey, I can only do so much on the computer, but if I can get out there and, and take a look at it. He doesn't just do that with mule deer. He does it with elk. And I mean, he always is trying to visit the country. And I, and I know that there's a lot of guys that can't do that. But if you can, it's, it's totally helpful. It gives you a familiarity with the country, a confidence in the country. Um, it helps you rule out a lot of country because that's the problem sometimes on Google Earth. Google Earth will lie to you, man. It'll make you think, that, oh, I'm going to go here, 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 here. Man, you get out there. It's like, <laughs> man, I can't even get to the next spot. You know, yeah. it's going to take a day. You know, doesn't that ever happen to you, Dustin? Colorado 2021. I, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Got in, mm-hmm. I mean, 10 miles, 11 miles deep to get to the place where I thought I just knew I was going to be able to cross through this pass and get into this back basin. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm telling you, I would have had to have had climbing gear. I mean, it was so mm-hmm. ridiculously miscalculated that it wasn't even yeah. funny. <laughs> uh, right, dude. And that's what I mean about if you could look at that country with your eyes, yep. you know, even if it's a month or two ahead, you know, you can kind of narrow some of that out. And um, I, I, re, I talked about this on a couple other podcasts, but it's, it's a good point. I want to mention it. I, I reviewed a book on my blog this summer. It's called, So You Want to Hunt the West for Mule Deer, Now What? And it's by a guy by the name of Dan Brannigan. And he was a Michigan hunter that moved out here like 20 years ago. So we can call him an Idahoan now. Um, he paid his dues. And um, he moved out here and he had, to, he had to change his whole thinking about deer hunting. And you know, he's a very successful whitetail hunter and he's a real smart guy. Like he's, you know, he's got a PhD, he's, you know, some type, some type of research scientist. So, you know, real analytical and reviewing his book, I, I, it, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit of what guys are dealing with that didn't, didn't grow up here. Um, that there's, and I knew this, but until he wrote it, I didn't really think about it this way. He said, the problem with hunting mule deer versus whitetail, he says, you go to the West, he says, there's massive amounts of country that have no mule deer in it, that you cannot tell the difference between that country and country that does have mule deer in it. And he says, we're with whitetail hunting, they're more evenly distributed on average. I mean, it can be different Midwest, you know, big woods, North, East, you know, it can be different, but it's still kind of, you know, the deer are here, they're all over. You know, there you, you you just go and you find the deer where that was his struggle was there's so much country that you can just eat your lunch yep. and there's no bucks in it. And, 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 and when he wrote that, I thought, you know, he's right. I, I don't even think about that anymore because I just go to the spots where I know bucks are. But you can really spend a lot of time in, in, in deer country. That, that doesn't have deer in it. And, and, and so that's, I think that's another challenge that we kind of have to overcome. And, and, you know, I think a real skilled person on Google earth can figure some of that out, but I'm just not, I'm just not that person. I always tell people to follow Brady Miller. He does a lot of stuff on <laughs> Google earth and, and on, and when, you know, he'll, he'll do something and I'll go check. I'll be like, Oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. I see what he's saying, you know, but, but boots on the ground, I'm telling you, if you can get out and you can take a look at your country and if you can't, then just stacking multiple years of hunting the same place is going to help you narrow that down. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, you know, we, we kind of adopted a, not a, just a general rule regarding that where we were only allowing ourselves one hunt a year that was in new country that we hadn't hunted before. And we had to make a scouting trip, you know, in other words, if I couldn't make a scouting trip to a new unit, it wasn't worth 
hunting it that year you know mm-hmm. and there's always going to be some random tag that you draw you know Arizona yeah, right. strip or something or whatever right. but you know in general I wasn't going to purposely put in for some Colorado unit that I couldn't get at least get down and scout to and yeah it always man it like you said you show up and you have this per, you know do your research ahead of time and then go validate it in person and it almost always changes that first trip mm-hmm. alone even if you're just on a little backpack hiking trip with your wife or whatever you get mm-hmm. in there and you realize, you know, whatever, holy crap, this is just a freeway for backpackers, you know, hikers mm-hmm. coming in and out or whatever. This isn't where I want to be or, you know, this, you can't actually see this basin from right here where you thought you would. And you have to be completely on the other side of the peak or what, you know, or whatever. Right. And it does it, man, it gives you such a leg up. Just that one confidence building first trip. Yep. Yep. That's, that's exactly been my experience right there. Um, so about done with these, why this, uh, cam Cameron Garfield, it looks like why are coos deer so much cooler than mule deer? <laughs> we don't need to validate that with the response. Why are they so much cooler? Um, I guess because they're so easy to hunt. Like you can go hunt in like your shorts. I mean, do those guys even have any backcountry gear? Um, let's see what else. Um, I'll tell you uh, what they have. They have optics, and those guys know how to use their optics for for coos deer. That's probably the only thing that's you know just physically glassing them. I've heard is um, is pretty tough, but yeah. yeah. But if you want to hunt mice, I mean, I can go out here in the pasture and set up my BTXs and watch for mice. I mean, so I mean, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to roll with the guy here. Like, why are they cooler? I, they, 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 they um, I, I can't really think less, of a great less, reason. Less meat, smaller horns. <laughs> there you uh, go, dude. That's that's it, dude. You you can just pick them up by the scruff of the neck and carry them back to the truck. Yeah, that's yeah. why they're cooler right there. We have to actually quarter ours up. We- <laughs> Well, careful, because by that definition, elk are better than mule deer, and that's just not, yeah. Well, we can go into that, too, but dude, you ever smell your hands after you, like, quarter your elk? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. Hey, good question, man. All, all I can tell you is I've never hunted uh, coos deer, probably never will, um, and I know there's a, I, I reviewed a book on my blog about hunting uh, coos deer because I like all deer and, um, d- definitely, uh, a, a specialized skill set to hunt those, those, uh, what, I can't remember what they have a nickname for them. You know, something about little, little gray ghosts or something gray like ghosts, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that, that sounds pretty cool, but they're not cool enough for me to go burn 10 days on them. <laughs> yeah. Put it that way. Uh, my buddy, Sam McKeith, what are we going to do when our bodies tell us it's time to quit deer hunting? Um, well, I'm feeling a little bit of that myself. Um, I was so stoved up after my Colorado hunt last year cause I hurt my foot. I hurt my knee. Uh, I'm like, gee, man, I'm just falling apart here, but you know what? I'm just going to move slower and I'm going to kill more big deer. That's really what I keep telling myself, whether that will pan out or not, we'll have to see. But, yeah. but, um, uh, I, I know one thing I'm a better hunter now than I was 25 years ago and I'm not nearly as physical as I was then. Cause I can't be. Yeah. Use it to your advantage. Yeah. That's about all we can do. So, so if you see me sitting on a lawn chair off the side of some two track road, that's, that's what I've been reduced to. But sometimes those guys kill giant bucks. Yeah. Love it. Um, there's one, one good question here that I'm actually going to circle back to and end with. Um, and then there's there's the last one we haven't the second to last one we haven't got to that's gonna roll us into your book. So nine ninety five nine five Cody 
is just asking anything about Mule Deer and your new book. So we've all kind of heard this this book that's coming um, down the line, and it really interested me because it's based around more of the stories of the hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, you got it. My first book was just, you know, kind of the pure how-to, you know. Um, this is how I do it. This is how I think. This is where I go. This is what I do. Um, and then just small antidote stories to, to back it up, like to give, you know, a, to make a point where this one, I went the other direction. I just wrote the stories and let the how to kind of come out of it. You know, people can just read it and see how I was thinking and how I handled this hunt and how I got this buck. Um, but I couldn't help myself at the end of every story. I did what's called the takeaways. So I just have, you know, a few paragraphs after every story that I thought were kind of the high points of the story in case somebody missed them of, you know, notice this is why I did this, or this is why I went here. And, um, and I liked, I liked the way that it came out. You know, I mean, some of the stories are long, dude. I got one in there that's 12,000 words, Mm. you know, it took, it took a couple of weeks to write that thing, but you know, it was an epic fall for me. I just put the whole fall into one story, you know, multiple hunts over multiple weapons for the same buck. And, um, it had a happy ending and it, it just, it just took a lot of words to do it, but I think if, if people are entertained by that kind of stuff and the whole story, long story format, they'll really like that. Most of the stories are not that long. They're more like five to 7,000 words, you know, like reading a couple of big articles. And um, so I did seven stories um, from that angle, and then I got some great contributing authors. We've talked about one of them, Travis Hobbs. Um, he did uh, Bad Winter Bucks, The Legend of Scar. Um, his story of Scar has been out there, but he expanded it even more on some other bucks that, that he took. Scotty Thompson's got three stories in there. Two bucks over 37 inches taken with archery gear. I don't know of anybody that's ever done that before, and he's done it twice. Um, Randy Olmer gave me a great story, oh, uh, uh, original content, and it's it's a it's an angle because, you know, he's a lot of times he's writing his articles how-to like we all are. And when I told him how I was doing this, he's like, oh, I've got some stuff like that. And and, and it is a neat, neat story. It's I'm not just saying this because it's Randy. It's one of the best stories in there. You get to really feel what he's feeling and think what he's thinking and, and what it's like to sit on a buck for days and days and days. Um, he did a great job. He really did. Um, let's see, who else have I got in there? Tony Treach. Um, hunting with decoys, um, Jared Bloomgren hunts a lot of the Badland country, um, um, and, and kind of how he hunts that. Um, Jared is an excellent uh, stalker, and um, um, I, I, want, I really wanted a story from him on that on how he does that. Let's see, Muley Slayer, he's going to send us one. We're still waiting on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Lamper sent a really good story about kind of breaking down a backcountry unit, you know, day by day. It's and it's in a story form. It's not really how to, but you know, kind of how. They they arrive at the area and what they did and how they pushed in further and you know h- kind of hunting the, the the early phase of the rut just just really good stuff let's see who else i got in there uh, dude brian Laturner, he's the owner of monster muleys um he's kind of a low-key guy unless you're on his website dude he is for real man on big bucks he really is and he we were talking about you know it's kind of hard to follow a buck from year to year to year. His story is a buck he followed for four years, and I believe him. <laughs> and read He's the a good buck hunter. Yeah, four years, and he had a history with this buck. And, you know, he didn't hunt the, just that buck the whole four years, but he had a history with him. 
And it's, it's a good story. And I think it kind of brings home the whole point of why sometimes we just can't find these bucks again, but they're right there under your nose. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, Jordan Budd, um, runs our podcast for rock slide. She, mm-hmm. she did a story. Um, she's an up and coming buck hunter. She does really well. She can go to a new unit, scout it, figure it out. She can kind of, you know, get beyond Google earth and know what to do. She's got that in there. And let's see, is that all my guest authors? Uh, yeah. And then, and then Toby Boudreaux, the guy I told you from, from the Idaho fishing game, it's right, right now. So I've got those in there as well. And then of course I, I did a whole tips and tactics section at the end. I think I've got like 15 just short articles in there, just, you know, kind of single topic articles on, um, it's a lot of stuff I've, I've written on my blog over the years. I've expanded on it a little bit. So it's, it's still got the how to angle on it, but the, 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 the biggest chunk of the book is definitely the stories. And, um, in the tips and tactics section, I, I, I put together about a 6,000 word article on the mule deer rut. Um, and just kind of my 30, 35 years of hunting the rut and all the different phases of the rut. You know, you go into the whitetail world, those guys can tell you what day to hunt on, what to expect when the moon is here, this is what you do. Da, 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 da. I don't find that level of knowledge in the mule deer world for the rut. You know, we're, I still think we're all just kind of figuring it out and i'm no different and and, you know it's not that this is going to be the definitive article on it but i really wanted to write it to say okay these are my experiences there's not been a lot of research done on the mule deer rut i mean go google it there's just not a lot out there and i was hoping to really get the conversation started amongst the most experienced mule deer hunters out there and get their feedback and so that's what this article is about and it's a it's about the three phases of the rut the early phase the peak phase and then the the late rut and um i've got i've got examples in there my own examples of bucks i've hunted during that time and then include some from other hunters i talked to ryan lampers a lot on this one because he hunts a lot of the early uh, rut phase um october 20th to roughly the 9th of november somewhere in there and just really tried to lay that out and moving ahead a couple of weeks to expo that's that's what my subject is going to be at, at my expo seminar in salt lake at western hunting and conservation um expo is I, that article i'm going to break it down into a seminar form and i'd really like to get the conversation going with a lot of guys out there and as i say in the article i, I don't expect this to be the final word that's just i i, I want to get to where the white tailed guys are i want to I want to know more about the rut and the moon phase and, you know, uh, the, the, what, like the rut started super early this year, Dustin, across yeah. the West guys were seeing big bucks, chasing does October 21st, 22nd, 23rd, man, that's at least a week early. What's causing that? You know, I mean, I really want to get into that. So I've got that in there as well. And then, um, I, uh, I, I got kind of so a, a few chapters on, on mule deer gear that I've, that I've tried and tested since I wrote my first book. And, you know, it's, it's just got more of the modern stuff in there. You know, the BTXs, when I use those, the, 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 the 32 millimeter binoculars, the, N, the, the NLs and the, the, the Zeiss SFs. And I think uh, Leica just, just hit the market with one too, that, you know, these smaller objective lenses. Now you're really not giving anything up compared to like 10 years ago because, you know, with a bigger one. Yeah. So I got that stuff in there. I touch on all that stuff. So, um, and then the, the very last uh, chapter in my book, like, just like the last chapter in my last book, it's kind of my favorite. And um, uh, it's called The Slump. And it's just talking about 
the last two years, kind of the emotional roller coaster I've I've gone through because not punching tags is hard for me. It really is. But there's a purpose in it. And um, that's what that whole chapter is about. And um, uh, that's the book right there, bro. Well, I'm excited, man. I uh, specifically that last part, uh, man, I can relate. I had just I got lumped three times last year, um, Mm -hmm. you know, three decent mule deer tags good enough and um so i you know we could cry on each other's shoulders i guess but mm-hmm. um yeah man as far as the just the general feel of it like you know how it is when you're into something like you just want to you want 10 times more material on it and you just want to soak up the whole story or the whole experience and so um you know there's no doubt that guys will be interested in this and I'm super excited. You know, some of those, like the scar buck, for example, like, of course we want to know more about the story, mm-hmm. you know, like you mm-hmm. just, you can't get enough of it when you're into something. So, uh, no. right. And it's so interesting. He expanded on it a little bit more over what he put in Eastman's and then he added some other bucks into it. And it kind of got along that whole thing. We were talking about bad winter bucks. That's why it's called bad winter bucks, the legend of scar about some of the giant bucks that are still around after hard winters, you know, Travis kind of went into that stuff too, but, but it's in story form, you know? So, so, so it's a totally different angle. And, um, I, I think it's going to work. You know, I, I, the only guys that won't w- work with are guys that they just, they just can't sit down and read. They have to be scrolling. They have to be, you know, everything on their phone. It, it, they may not like this book. Well, know, I don't. It's, it's a longer form book than that. I don't read a lot anymore, but I I will read mule deer books for sure. Hunting hunting backcountry hunting books or mule deer books. So, um, yeah. yep, I'll be order. Or, is it on pre order yet? It's not. You know, my editor can turn these around so fast that it it doesn't make a lot of sense to do pre-order. Pre-order works better, like Cam Haynes' book right now. You know, they, they announced that a year early. You know, you can pre-order it. You know, where mine, you know, I'm announcing it now. It'll be out in, in April. So I talked to her about doing that. She says, I think we can just turn it around so fast. There won't be any sense in it. Um, we'll see, though. If she gets bogged down, um, it's going to take a while longer. Like, let's say she can't deliver it till summer. Then it might make sense to do a pre-order on it. But it'll be available on Amazon. Uh, unfortunately, Amazon rules the world. So I, I got to go through them if I want to if I want to get it out there. And um, we'll, we'll have signed copies on Rockslide at some point. But like like it always is you'll get your earliest delivery through amazon so mm. that's that's where you want to go two days um yeah i love it um looking forward to it i've got your other couple at least one of your other books right your uh hunting big mule deer. hunting big mule deer yeah that's one of my favorites yeah yeah, yeah that's the how-to one and this one's called hunting big mule deer the story so it's got the, the same title different subtitle okay. one other thing i wanted to mention too is i just pulled up my table of contents here um john mcgannon is a chef from California. Do you know who that is? He writes for the Mule Deer Foundation. Okay, so if you look in the Mule Deer Foundation publication, he's got recipes and stuff in there. I met him about 15 years ago, and he totally changed how I age my wild game and with fantastic results. So I had him submit an article on that as well. Mm. And it's kind of kind of like the whole rut thing I was talking about is, you know, when I talk, I can get I can talk to 40 different guys and get 40 different opinions on, <laughs> on, on how to age your game or not age it or how long or what temperature or anything. He nailed it all down and I just followed his system and man, I'm eating better, better mule deer, including my jerky. I even age my jerky than I ever have in my life. And, and dude, it's, it's long aging times, like 
21 to 28 days. And that's just mind boggling to a lot of guys. And, you know, there's, there's a little bit of disadvantage to it. Obviously it's more work, takes more time. You do end up with a little bit more trim because of the dry aging, you know, you have to trim that off, but you know, you might, your yields might go down five or 10%, but man, the meat is so much better. And I'm talking old stinky eight year old bucks in the rut you can you can make those bucks taste a lot better following his methods so i've got a, a three thousand word article in there from him on that that, that breaks awesome. all that down too well it's it's definitely an art i mean and there's there's a reason that when you go to a nice nice steakhouse you know the 40 day aged ribeye or whatever is you know 76 dollars or whatever like so yes yeah. hey, i'm glad you bring that up dude when i was researching this and talking to him I came across a restaurant in Texas, dude, like famous for all their steaks. Eight months. Eight months. Aged. Aged. Eight months, dude. This thing looks like a ball of moldy cheese when they <laughs> pull it out of there. But they trim all that stuff off. And it's like you said, you know, 75 bucks or 120 bucks. And, you know, they I, I, huh. I watched a little show on it. And they, they were like, hey, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the best steak in Texas. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take that challenge from anyone. Huh. And, eight months dude and and think about it dude a cow you know they just walk around and live in their poop they're not you know olympic athletes of the <laughs> of uh of, of of animals where you know a deer and elk and this is whole john's mcgannon's point is you know our wild game you know they walk further they live harder lives they have more muscle they have less body fat so of course they're going to be tougher and so you know if if if, if our best restaurants are aging beef beef that's yeah. fairly tender by nature we should be doing more for our wild game, yep. you know? So anyways, that, that that's in there too. And I, I think if, if guys can keep an open mind, you have to let a lot of things go to, to follow this method, you know, cause there's a lot of old thinking in there. Me too. You know, it's, well, this is what dad said. And this is what uncle Fred used to do. And <laughs> it's like, well, let's just take it from a world-class chef on what he does and give it a try. And I had a big thread on rock slides called the deer aging thread. And I just put the method out there and then guys could get on there and post. And I started this two years ago, I think in 19 and dude, it's up to you know, 20 pages now. And a lot of guys have gone on there and most, not all, most are saying, yeah, it totally changed the quality of my venison. You Love know? it. My, my buddy here at work and I, man, we've been this close to buying these little dry age machines or whatever. So I'm going to wait till this book comes out and see, uh, do do whatever he says get all the all the setup that way so yeah cool. yeah dude it'll it, it, it'll help you and, and you know so a lot of people will 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 you know just cut cut their cut their meat and then then not age it at all and then and, and do the jerky dude i can't even eat that jerky anymore because i can tell it's so gamey what dry aging does is take away that gamey flavor that strong flavor it still tastes like venison but i mean it doesn't take it it takes that away and i can really tell that with the jerky that i've made from the dry aging is it's it's just mild you know it's almost like elk you know elk's a lot milder than mule deer mm-hmm. you know you it, it brings that intensity down and you can even tell on your jerky man when i open a bag of jerky from a buck that has not been aged yeah you get, you i can, can smell it, it. Yep. yeah i can yeah i can still eat it i love venison but i mean you can just improve on that yeah awesome man well we'll be looking forward to that doesn't sound like i have a link quite yet to put in the notes or anything but you just let me know and i'll uh you know i'll put up a post or whatever when the time oh comes. thank you man yeah. Nope. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell guys to watch for it on Amazon. Just search, search for it on there. And you know, I'm hoping April, May, some of it just, just depends on Muley Slayer, how soon he gets his story. Come in. on, Mark. You know, we're just waiting on you, Mark. Let's go, buddy. No pressure. Chop, chop. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, I'm gonna the, I'm gonna wrap up here with the last question. That um, back to our questions because I thought this was a good way to end it. Alex Crawford eight. Um, he's asking about what you think the just just the future of mule deer in the West and kind of your prediction for the next ten years, Robbie. Well, uh, weather's always the wild card. Um, I think we're healing up right now in these northern states from the 16-17 winter, and I'm seeing more nice bucks now than I was. And I, you know, those bucks are going to get older now. I think so. I think we got a decent crop of bucks coming up in our northern states. Um, as as far as the next ten years, I think that um, it's it's harder to get a mule deer tag than it used to be, but it's it's just going to take a little more planning and groundwork to get them um you know the states have tightened up a little bit on how they're distributing it but some of it's just an, an increase in demand for the tags and so you, you you can't just roll into the circle k and get your tag anymore those days are gone but don't let that discourage you i mean i read a lot of guys that are just so mad and they, you know, i missed the idaho mule deer tag this year it went on sale in one day and it was sold out well there'll be other opportunities for those tags as they get turned back you know so we just have to do things differently because all these states still need hunters still need mule deer harvest they still need all that stuff so there's going to be opportunities to hunt i think the big tags the, the the high point units and everything everybody's just kind of forgetting about those they're just realizing i'm never going to get a go I don't even care about those anymore. Where 10 years ago, that's what we were all thinking about. Like, oh yeah, next year, next year, <laughs> I got the points, you know? And then the next year, there's my rejection. And and then I look on the odds and it's like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, the, the, the draws went up 20%. Yeah. You know, I mean, that you just can't take all these, these little units out of a state and set them aside and have any chance of ever getting to hunt them if you're not in on the ground floor level. So yeah. I think the states are going to, going to, you're already seeing it. Arizona changed it a couple of years ago. They quit giving all their tags to the max point holders. They split that up a little bit. Um, I think there's going to be less demand for trophy units. I hate that word, but um, there's going to be less demand for that because people are figuring out that, man, I never get to hunt them. And so I, I, I think states are going to move that way a little bit. And honestly, that should give us a little bit more opportunity. But some guys are bummed because they think the only way to kill a big buck is in a draw unit. And yeah, it does make it easier if there's a, you know, 40 bucks per hundred does. And, you know, there's only seven rifle tags on the week that you're there, but we can't just manage mule deer that way. We're, we're, we're going to lose our, our, our foundation of support for them. Um, you know, if guys can't hunt them they're and, and they're not buying the licenses um, and, 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 and the tags and everything, that's not a good thing. I don't care what people says. There's a whole movement right now. I'm reading on rock slide of, Oh, they're trying to like, they don't care how many hunters we have. Less hunters is better. They don't care about the Matt, you know, the we, Matt Ranella theory that there you go right there. And we debated that big time on rock slide and Matt Ranella even came on. You know, God bless that guy, man. He jumped right in the fire. He made his points. I don't agree with them all, although he does make some great points about how people behave on social media. And and he's right. <laughs> you know, we're we're giving ourselves a black eye on social media. We won't totally get into that, but you know that that that's the thing when when you have an opponent. Sometimes 
there's things they're saying that are right. And, and Matt's right about that. So, so I don't want to just discount Matt. All right. But, but the whole thing about, uh, we can get by with less hunters and he wasn't the only one saying that, but a lot of guys were coming on like, Hey, you know, New Zealand only has 1% of their population is hunters. And, um, you know, we, we can get, I think America's like five or something, you know, we can get by with less hunters and I don't believe all that. I'm not going to bite off on all that. Like Colorado right now, the whole cat thing that got introduced to their legislature, it's kind of getting defeated right now. I hope, I hope it continues. It's losing its support. That's just because of the massive outcry from hunters in Colorado and yeah. from around the West. And, and, and we just defeated the, the blaze orange requirement for, for Colorado. Did you follow that about two or three weeks ago? Yep. Um, big, big chief, chief Wackabuck. Good job, mm-hmm. Henry. He was getting that out for everybody. We defeated that. That stuff happens by hunter numbers. And, and, and you know what, if I got to put up with a few more guys at the trailhead and a few more guys in the field so that I can pass hunting on to my kids, I'm going to do it. All right. I'm not going to be the guy that's like, I can be the, I'm the only one out here. If I see another person, you know, I'm, I'm having a bad experience. And a lot of guys that are, that are pushing that narrative, uh, one of them's out of Wyoming is because they keep running into non-resident hunters and they, it just blows their mind. You can't hunt my state. There's, there's, there's no way. There's just no way. You know, this is mine. No, it's not. We, we got to have non-resident hunters. Most of the states have decided on some, you know, 10 to 30% of your licenses can go to non-hunters. There's a lot of, of support that we build for mule deer management when we allow that. Because if you tell that guy in Kentucky, hey, man, you can't hunt my state anymore. I'm giving you no hope to ever hunt my state. Well, okay, well, we're losing his support for, for directly into that state. And we're losing his interest in mule deer. The Mule Deer Foundation needs members. Like, hey, I ain't going to go join. Why am I going to join? I don't even get a hunt mule deer. I've seen those posts on Rockslide with, with guys saying, okay, you know, I live in Pennsylvania. They're not, nobody's going to give me any elk licenses. You know, maybe I'll just start hunting small game. And, and why do I even need this Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation membership? Why do I even really need it? Dude, those guys got a point, you know? And so, so you know, I got, I got to move this forward to answer the guy's question. I, I think... As we move forward into the next 10 years, states are going to have to manage for that. And, um, you know, I'm not advocating just everything OTC. I'm not saying that. We're still going to have good game management. We've got to match the number of hunters to the, the game that's available. Um, and, and so I think I think you're going to be seeing that, and it's going to change how we get our licenses and stuff like that. But God forbid, it ain't going away. It needs our support, and we need we need to get out there and support it. Everybody should join the Mule Deer Foundation. Thirty five bucks for a yearly membership. You get four magazines a year. You know, if if just for that, go go pay. You know, nine bucks a magazine to get to, to get a great magazine that'll teach you a bunch about mule deer management and, and you know good articles in there for biologists and stuff like that. Um, you know, get that and support mule deer. And 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 the great thing about the Mule Deer Foundation, this ties to this guy's question: habitat is still king. All right. When we're managing license numbers and everything, that's just short term. You know, what's what what are we going to see next year? Stuff like that. We're, when you're managing habitat, that's a long term investment. And and a lot of guys get down on me because I'm not a big anti predator guy because I know that hey, the predators are going to kind of come and go. And yeah, I don't like them. I'd be fine with me. We didn't have any, but I know that's not practical either. And 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 it, but if we're, we're managing habitat and improving habitat, like what the Mule Deer Foundation does and a lot of our game and fish departments do, I mean, I know Fish and Game bought like 60,000 acres of critical Mule Deer winter range east of Idaho Falls like 40 years ago. Nobody can build on that. That will be there indefinitely. And 
that is what I mean about the long-term investment. Like we're always going to have that. And so when we're, we're putting money into owning and improving habitat and, and things like that, that's what's setting us up for healthy mule deer in the future where, you know, we go knock out 500 coyotes in one unit. It costs a whole bunch of money to do it, which by the way, I'm all for. They'll be back. Um, give them, give them six be- months. Exactly. But if that unit were improving the habitat, we own the critical deer winter range. Um, We have partnerships with landowners that are that are improving it so it doesn't just get turned into a subdivision. Um, You know, those deer have evolved for thousands of years with predators. And so when they have good functioning habitat, they, they can handle that. There's you know, don't just focus on the exception of, oh, well, what about this one unit where the cats got out of control? And the, okay, that's going to happen, but that's part of game management, right? That's why we need to be able to hunt cats. That's why there needs to be a whole bunch of people that love mule deer hunting. So when a state like Colorado says, hey, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to diminish cat hunting. I can't even remember what they were going to do. They're trying to get rid of it, um, get, get rid of the dogs or whatever they're trying to do. That you, that those legislatures feel the heat from not just, you know, some mouthy guy that lives in, you know, backcountry Colorado. No, they're hearing from front range Denver people. They're like, no, I hunt deer and it's not okay to just let the cats go wild. You know, that that's what, that's what we need going for our future. And so back to his question, I think if we all stay together, there's a bright future for mule deer hunting. I really, really think that every other game species we've been able to manage mule deers, you know, been on the decline for, for different reasons, but I've noticed everywhere we manage it, it improves everywhere. And you look what Colorado did when they managed their licenses starting in the late nineties, man, that mule deer, that mule deer herd came back in a lot of places. And you know, I've seen it in all the States. When, 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 when we manage them, we take care of them. They just do better. So that's, that's my prediction for the next 10 years. If we can all hang together and um, uh, uh, support mule deer, I, I think, I think we can sustain it and maybe even improve it. Robbie, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, you bet. You're, you're as always, you're a wealth of knowledge and uh, appreciate it. want to give you credit for just being willing to share it. And, um, you know, you, you, uh, clearly, you know, I, this is no secret, but this is kind of your life's work, so to speak. I mean, you have a couple other, you know, actual jobs and stuff, but this is what you've poured your free time and your passionate and everything into. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Um, we'll look forward You're to that. You're welcome, Dustin. Yeah, we'll look forward to that that next book. And uh, you just get me links, and we'll we'll throw them up and advertise it for you and anything we can. So, okay, man. And do we see you at Expo in a couple weeks? Oh man, so the I had the rough conversation with myself. I it like it broke my heart, but um, dude, I'm just I've been trade showed to death. Uh, oh yeah. And, and things have changed this year. You know, I don't know how much you followed or whatever, but we've got these foster boys, um, you know, three and five year old that are living with us. And so that is just, it changes, changes things. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, God bless you and your wife for doing that, man. That's those, those, that's going to help those guys. And, um, yeah, you do whatever, whatever it takes. The rest of this stuff will take care of itself. And, um, uh, and expo is always a tough one. Like what you said. You know, it's it, it's one of the later shows. You know, if, if you're if you're required to go to shows, I mean, what have you been going to shows since December? Yeah, yeah, yeah. December. I mean, where's you out? 
Yeah. So no, yeah, no so take, I, stay home, take care of them boys, man. Yeah. I, I, well, it's, it's, it's the wife, you know, that really is, uh, the boys, they're, they're survivors, <laughs> yeah. but no, it, it kind of breaks my heart and man, I don't know. I might even find a reason to just sneak down. What I'm not doing is I'm not going down for work. And so, right. you know, I don't know, man, push might come to shove and we might just bomb down for the weekend, you know, with the boys or something crazy. I don't know. Yeah, dude, bring, bring them down and go to that little archery thing they have in the oh, back there, you there go. dude, where they, you know, they give them them little bows, dude, and they just turn them loose, dude, Zinging the whole crowd, everywhere. like, yeah, hides, you know, everybody's <laughs> hiding behind the boots and everything. These kids are, you know, winging arrows up into the rafters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, get them some of that action, man. Yep. But I love, love Hunt Expo and man, if, uh, yeah, that's, that's the last thing I'll wrap up with is, um, you know, that's kind of where I cut my teeth, um, with guys like you and Mark and, um, you know, just guys that knew a lot more and know a lot more than I did is going to those seminars, you know, those were podcasts back in the day. Um, mm, that's we, right. didn't, we didn't have podcasts, right. Or we didn't, and we didn't have mm. a lot of social media like we do now, but you know, I'd go sit, um, in those in those uh, seminars and just soak up, you know, every minute of it. And so that's a, it's just, an, yeah, it's an awesome place. And, and frankly, if you're a guy that's just trying to get into this, you know, you hear all this, man, where do I start or how do I find a good hunting buddy? Or like, you know, that's the type of place, you know, that you go and rub shoulders with guys and, you know, you're going to see another guy there that whatever has, you know, as stupid as this sounds, has the same camel on or, you know, is, is asking a similar question that you had. And then, you know, you bump into him afterwards and, Hey, that was a really good question. You know, are you here in, you know, whatever here in Utah? And then all of a sudden you're up on the Wasatch front <laughs> with the rest yep. of the no, totally networking, know. networking face to face. It still works. It's yeah. still the best out there, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, you'll meet a lot of guys down there. It, it, it's a good show. But it for really is. I really encourage people to come. Yeah. And, and to sit, you know, a podcast is one thing because, but how many times have you sat and listened to a podcast and just been going nuts because there's a specific question that you wanted to ask Robbie? Well, mm -hmm. the seminars in person is the place to do that. You know, you literally get to go in and raise your hand um, and ask the exact question that you have or have had. So it's unlike I'm glad you're bringing that up because that's what I like last time I went the full hour that they gave me this time. I'm just going to go 45 minutes so that I have more time for questions yeah. um, because you're, you're right. That's just like almost a little live podcast right there. People ask questions it's like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. I mean, it like helps me when people ask questions like, oh, yeah, well, this is what I think about that. And um, and then so so if people are going to be at the expo. Um, I speak on Saturday, the 12th at 4 p.m., 4, 15 p.m. The seminars are free. They're in they're yeah. they're, you're, they're not inside the, the, the show. So you have to pay to go into the seminars um, if you're that cheap. But if, if you want to go on the show and you don't have 10 bucks, come see me. I'll get you in. Yeah. Um, uh, or no, go see Muley Slayer. He's got more money than me. <laughs> and he's he's speaking at three on Saturday. And his uh, his seminar is on hunting solitary bucks, kind of these bucks that pull away from all the other bucks. And, you know, it's just really interesting. And then he's also speaking Friday at noon, I believe. And so um, that's what got me going to the seminars. I think this is Mark's like 11th year of speaking mm -hmm. at the seminars. And he always puts on a good seminar. Humble guy, funny, high energy. You know, no, no syllabus. He just goes in and starts yakking and yeah. you never know what's going to happen. And it's a lot of fun. So, yeah. Okay. We'll love it, man. All right. Appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll look forward to the book and hopefully you guys get down to the seminars there. Okay, Dustin. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Have a good day. 
Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.